Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing, curious, lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vales, and or, and or on Twitter at FlourishingHG. And please let me know what's your favourite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing. Wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. Hello and welcome to another powerful imperfectly perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm talking to Annabelle Jeffcoat and a very warm welcome to the podcast Annabelle. Thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here Um, so I've just introduced myself a little bit my name is Annabelle as you mentioned Um, I'm a teacher's work-life balance coach so I help uh, in particular primary school teachers to reduce anxiety and switch off. Um, It's too common in the education industry that people have stress-related illness um, too many times I've jumped on Twitter and I'm sure many other people have and there's teachers literally at their wits end um, finding themselves not wanting to get out of bed, losing the love of teaching, finding themselves not sleeping properly, waking up at 3am um, and there's even Facebook groups that are dedicated to teachers leaving the industry because they, they it's just not having a life anymore um, and for me witnessing that particularly during the lockdown time Um, I was in a transition myself um, where I was deciding where do I want to go next Um, and I just allowed it to flow. I was like I don't want to choose and decide and go right this is exactly what I want to do. I just wanted to see what my expertise could do and my experience mainly could do to serve people and help them in a bigger way and um, I found myself when I sat back and took a a breath um, that things just unfolded themselves really. And I'd never previously done it that way. So it was was an amazing journey. Um, And now we have Balance for Teachers, which has served many teachers to find themselves again. I had a message only yesterday um, from a previous client who had messaged me saying um, a picture. And I mean, I coached her a good year ago now. And she said, you know what, all of the stuff I learned, all the strategies I learned with you, um, they're still working. You saved my life. Like I'm falling, I'm in love with teaching again. And I just wanted to send you my calm corner for me because I thought you'd really appreciate it. And we always see these calm corners come up um, on Instagram. And I think they're fantastic for children. And the emotional literacy that's coming into education now is so, so necessary. And just to have it wasn't even, you know, it doesn't come from me as a coach, you shine the light on others and you help them to empower themselves 
to make choices that serve them, to learn how to put themselves first without panicking about the never ending to do list and feeling that all of this pressure's on them all the time. So when she sent me this message, she went, I, I just wanted to show you my calm corner. She said, the kids love it, right? They absolutely love it because I've got my little plant. It's my positivity plant. I have my things laid out. I've just got a little lampshade. So it's got a really nice like sense to it. So she said, when I do need to stay behind at school, I feel calm. I feel, you know, present in that moment rather than feeling that I'm rushing and and I just honestly sat back and I was like, yes, that's it, right? That is what the balance strategy is about, um, is about gifting teachers the ability to empower themselves. Because just like I think I was listening to your podcast the other day with Uncle Selly, um, and he was saying, you know, our values, the way we are on a day to day is what the children see, right? If the children see, they can tell they are so good at reading rooms and emotion without us even realizing the amount of experiences that they pick up. And yet we're putting teachers under so much pressure and stress that they are, they are literally leaving and there's no consistency for the children. That is not the teacher's fault at all. You know, if your chapter has ended and you've moved on, absolutely okay that was right for you and I have coached teachers that have left education that that's not a problem you know you have to follow your journey and your path but feel empowered to do so and I've had messages come back to me saying do you know what I left and it was the best thing I could have done and if I hadn't done your five-day free discover life outside work challenge I probably wouldn't have stepped over the line and would still be burnt out now and it's like it doesn't matter if you stay or leave the important thing is you're looking after yourself because it's not just the kids in your classroom that are watching, it's your children, they're watching. And it's the, the next generation on a day-to-day -day base that are watching and they're listening and they're saying, you know, how do I live my life, right? All this stuff about exams and tests and like, you know, I, I live to the next thing. One of my biggest breakthroughs when I was being coached was when um, my coach at the time said, about being a, a, an A-class student and then trying to be an A-class student once you leave school because there is no test or exam that you're working towards. Like, it doesn't come. And yet you're looking and searching for perfection and, you know, getting the attention from others to say, well done. But as an adult, most people are not interested. Like, they're just, they're living their lives. They're going about doing their thing. They're not there to go, well done, you did well. We need to learn how to do that for ourselves to be able to cheer ourselves, to be able to give ourselves permission to say, right, do you know what? I feel quite tired today. I'm going to need to give myself a little bit more space and compassion rather than going, I've got to push through. I've got to get this done. You know, the world's going to end if I don't finish this all or waiting up until midnight to go to bed because you're just going to do one more thing. I'll just do one more thing on the to-do list and then that's it. Time's flown. You've got no sleep. You're exhausted the next day. So, in terms of balance for teachers, the whole intention is behind the balance strategy. Um, the balance strategy came about, again, I was literally just laying in bed one Christmas, um, I think it was probably about two years ago now. Um, and I'd experienced exam anxiety to the point where I used to have seizures. So when I was 21, I was hospitalized with seizures. Um, and they didn't know what it was. I'd had epilepsy growing up. Um, they couldn't really pinpoint what it was. And I went to like, could only be explained as like a big brother house. 
And um, in this big brother house, they filmed me, recorded me, monitored, and I was into my health and wellness. I wasn't anyone who was sort of, you know, going out drinking every night or anything like that because I'd grown up with epilepsy. So my health was very much go to bed on time, make sure you don't drink too much alcohol, all of this sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, I was having these seizures where I was losing control of my body. And the end of six weeks, they turned around to me and said, there's nothing we can give you. There's, we can't give you anything. Because when we've monitored the seizures, it's down to stress and anxiety. I was like, I'm 21. <laughs> so it's like, how could yeah. I possibly, yeah. Like, how could I possibly, so I was so angry. I was like, please help me. Please fix me. I must be broken. If I could give anyone a message today, it's like, you are not broken. I spent years believing I was broken and I kept trying to fix myself. And it's not about fixing yourself. It's about accepting yourself and accepting that you can choose differently any day just by changing your perception of how we look at things. And for me in that moment, I walked out of that, that place and I was like, they're telling me I, there's no medication to fix this. There's nothing wrong with my body. And therefore I'm going to have to work this out myself because this isn't right. I'm going to have to save myself. So in essence, I had an epiphany moment. I stopped looking for others to save me. Like I stopped playing the victim and, and, and just kind of sit back and thought, well, do you know what, how can I help me? And it took a couple of, I mean, to be honest from, I would say that was burnout for me um, into balance again, took me about 10 years. The teachers on the Discover Life Outside Work Accelerator is taking them six months. And for me to have experienced 10 years to gift teachers who stand in a classroom with 30 students, obviously that will change every year. You might see thousands of children in your career. The impact subconsciously that person's happened. I would do those 10 years again, right? Because the next generation is learning from all of those things where I had to go to different experts. I had to try and understand and I was looking for the answers. And then in that epiphany moment, I realized that it was down to me. And yes, reaching out to certain professionals is necessary at the start because you don't know what you don't know, right? So we can be curious about things and say, right, you know, well, for me, I was like, well, why am I having these seizures? Okay, can I map it backwards? right? I'm having a seizure. What just happened? And this was a very slow process, but I eventually stopped them. And I stopped them because I realized that just before my seizure, I fainted. Just before I fainted, my speech would go. Just before my speech would go, I'd feel dizzy or lightheaded. Now, having studied nutrition now and having studied um, the body in multiple holistic ways, I now realize a lot of it was probably down for I naturally have low blood pressure and I generally had really put so much stress on my liver that I wasn't actually getting a lot of blood because a lot of the time it happened. It was just before lunch, just before dinner, when my physical body was under stress, but my whole body was at toxic overload. Like everything I was doing for those few years, I was trying to be perfect at university. I was trying to like do everything and be everything that by the age of 21, I hadn't dealt with some of the traumas I'd had when I was younger and it was all coming up. And my body was like, I can't do this. This is enough. And 
this is why when I speak to teachers and they're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I physically, I'm at the point where, you know, they're desperate for some answers and the answers are within. But the only way we can go within is by taking a breath. So when I was sat there that uh, or laying there in bed that Christmas, I was like, I'm not getting up until I find an acronym. We all love an acronym. So <laughs> I was like, I must find an acronym for my 10 years that I've experienced. And uh, because how, you know, how can I verbalize this? Like as a linguist, this linguist, you who must experience this, and you sit there and you're like, what are the words that express this? Like, how can I express this in a way that can communicate to someone else? when they've got different experiences, they've got different, uh, you know, potentially different languages they speak. So the meaning behind words is different for everyone. How do I communicate that? Um, so I created the balance strategy and it started off with, well, it's based on science and also my experience, um, which is all about taking a breath initially. That's what the B is for. Take a breath, right? It triggers your parasympathetic nervous system and when I was mapping back my seizures, it was very much like, okay, let's take a breath. What just happened? Right. And by taking a breath, you really allow your body to calm down and get out of that reaction mode. Um, and often we don't take a break. We, we sort of go, oh, you know, I haven't got any time. Like I need to rush through everything. I need to do this. And by holding yourself accountable to even if it's you have to step out and go to the loo or you have your own calm corner you can go to or you, you know, have a space in your house. One of my clients, she had a caravan in her front garden and she used to say to everyone in her family, the caravan is my space. If I'm in the caravan, unless it's an emergency, don't disturb me. Because she, yeah, yeah. She communicated her boundary and she went in there and she had her time and it allowed her to process a couple of things that had happened that year that were very big life events. And if she hadn't processed them, she wouldn't then be able to support her family through it as well. So for her, she was like, that caravan is my space. And, you know, her kids, her husband, they all abided by it. It was only in emergencies that they came in. Um, and they were fine with that. They knew exactly how long she was going to be in there. It was all agreed and it was good for them. So... And, and that was what she used on the five day free challenge to create because balance was take a breath. She took a breath with us and went, right, what do I need? Where is my space? Like I need some space. And then it's when you have that awareness, so you breathe to get awareness in order to listen to yourself. So she took a breath and she got awareness of like, I need space. I, I like, I need some space for me. Um, so she's listening to herself to then align her next step cheer herself when she does it and then she can evolve and this can happen anytime any space anywhere where you feel that you have these parts of you that are torn in different directions like you want to stop yet there's another part of you striving for perfection and um, you want to go to bed but you need to get that thing done on the to-do list you want to put yourself first but that would be selfish like, I can't put myself first because, what well, you know, the children need me, like my family need me. And these are all just thought patterns, right? These are all just the things that we have created as our perception of the world. I had a coaching call with a lady earlier today and um, she came on and she said, oh, I had these, you know, two days back at work 
and I've had all of this stuff put in front of me and I was meant to get it in by Friday I went okay um, and she's been with me for a little while and she went so I went up to the head and I said to him um, okay could I have an extension of an extra day because I was off a day and I'll get it into you by Tuesday is that okay and he was like yes that's fine that was it right she had literally found a solution to the the concern gone to gone to them said I get everyone else has got it in I appreciate everyone else has done it but for me I've had to deal with this stuff at home and therefore could I just have an extension and it was fine I've had it with reports I've had a message from someone that's you know she said I, I had the, com the challenging conversation um, and I thought I could either stay up all night trying to complete my reports and make myself sick or I could just go and say, could I have an extension? And again, they turned around and went, yeah, sure. And it's funny you say that, because I think well, very often as educators and teachers, we are our worst enemy in the sense that we, we keep going, going on the hamster wheel. We keep going in the sense that it's like, oh yeah, there's that one last thing I've got to do, but um, it, it, it's so it's really interesting so so one thing I would love to ask you is um I love I love the acronym I love what you're doing it resonates with so much of my own journey and my own you know experience of the, over the last 12 years uh and my own path um and yet when I also work with teachers and with parents um although a lot of educators and, and parents know they're at the end of their tether and they know that they're really struggling. To me, what's really interesting is they're almost not prepared to take that step to do something about it. So it's almost like just going, going on the hamster wheel is is so there's so much momentum and again you know hands up I recognized before I I had the courage to ask for my career break and to actually step off the hamster wheel um it was really difficult because I I didn't know well you know maybe I didn't want to do it I don't know what it was so I'd love your take on that you know how do we support people who you know be parents you know uh, the, the, our listeners that tend to be um women so I, i'll not categorize what their professions are um but really the, the the listeners are women roughly my age so mums um i assume um and you know slightly younger and and, and older so like the range 35 to like 60s what the the key sort of um of our listeners and mainly mainly female so um if they hear, they've heard what you've just said, they've heard the acronym and they really resonate, but they, they almost feel like they're busy, busy. You know, the words that come up always, like I'm stressed and I'm busy and I'm overwhelmed and I'm feeling anxious. What would be your advice to them? So it's really interesting um, because I was thinking of, which I'll cover in a second, a strategy in which you can utilize and apply. But first of all, from what you've just mentioned, that last sentence, stop using that language, right? If you say you are overwhelmed, you will feel overwhelmed because the words that we use resonate in our bodies. Our mind recognizes our words. It's like um, I've often said, and, and I did this myself, stop saying sorry. 
How many times do we apologize for ourselves every single day? Oh, sorry, I didn't open that door for you. Oh, sorry, I didn't. It loses all of its meaning because inside you is a little kid that was told if you did something naughty, you should apologize and say sorry. And then we tell ourselves all day, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we're just apologizing for ourselves every single day. Tweak it. Say thank you for your patience rather than sorry I'm late. Right? You didn't do anything wrong. You turned up exactly the right time. That was the time you were meant to turn up. But you can appreciate someone's waited and say thank you for your patience. And, and when we say overwhelmed, right, it's about understanding what we are actually saying. Now, overwhelmed, and this is um, Brené Brown's definition of overwhelm. Um, now, she explains overwhelm in the most beautiful way. And um, she explains it as overwhelm is like your nervous system is an electrical circuit. And when that electrical circuit can take no more, it will break, it will stop. The only way you can calm overwhelm is by stepping out, by stepping away, taking some of the load off, and then your nervous system gets a little bit of a break to create more space. And in creating that space, you can then move into that next step. So for me, initially, one of the first steps you can do is tweak your language. It doesn't add anything to your to-do list, right? None of the strategies I do add to your to-do list because I appreciate if you're already busy, you don't want to do more, right? <laughs> um, and often you find that these, these courses and stuff. And when I created the Accelerator program, I created it around me time 15 minute tasks because I would be concerned if you cannot find 15 minutes, right? And 15 minutes just for you, right? And those 15 minutes are just to read the strategy. The rest of the day, you try and apply it to your life because nothing happens without action. And if we keep saying, you know, I'm, I'm so anxious about tomorrow, are you anxious? Because Science shows that anxiety and excitement are the same physiological responses in the body. So are you anxious and nervous about doing something? Or could the palpitations and the be actually be expressed as excitement? Right? Nowadays, and, and to be honest, I was that person on the hamster wheel for sure, working 24-7, like putting all the hours, sleeping six hours a night, thinking I could do it. And, I, and to be honest, I broke my body trying to do that. And it took me that amount of time to, to come back from that. So it is challenging. It is tough. But it's only you can make that step. Like No one can do it for you. It's a case of saying, right, I can tweak these things without doing more. So in other words, I can say, right, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Register. Note that. Feel it to heal it. I feel overwhelmed. Great. What do I need? Right. I feel overwhelmed. I need some space. So I'm going to go and create that space because I need it. But what is difficult and challenging is that we only know our experiences from the way we've perceived the world up until now. So if you look at the world and you see hurdles and obstacles, guess what? You're still going to see hurdles and obstacles. So we have to listen to the part of us that has the answer. So it could be that you're thinking, for example, let's take a career break. I want to take a career break. And in your head, you're thinking, I can't. What about the children? What about um, 
I'm trying to think all the different things. You probably had loads circling in your head, Fabian. Um, you know, what about the children? How, what am I going to do for money? Like, how am I going to pay my bills? All this sort of stuff will come up. And that is absolutely okay. And um, we call it the self-saboteur. The self-saboteur is there to keep you safe. The ego just wants to keep you in what you know, right? This is what I know. This is what I know is safe. Now, it's all a perception. We believe that the floor is going to be there when we get out of bed in the morning. We just fling our legs out and jump out, right? Uh, we don't question it. We just, it's going to be there. And um, we don't question our routine in the morning when we do stuff because we're used to that and we've seen it. There was always a time where we didn't know something and then we learned it gradually. So we can feel in that moment like, oh my gosh, all these consequences might happen. If I ask for an extension, I might lose my job. Well, probably not um like it's it, it, it's yeah, you don't know until you ask right 100 <laughs> percent, right you don't know you we've just made it up in our heads because in our mind it's like if we've had an experience at some point from our perception the world is the movie that you've created so from our perception if we ask for more potentially it's going to have a negative consequence and that's just our brain picking at, okay, in the past, this is what happened in this scenario. They could be really far from different. It might be at one point you asked for something and you didn't get it, right? And that's it. And yet you've had loads of times where you did, but you didn't see it. You just kind of accepted that that happened. So when we are looking at whether it's a career break, whether it's having time off sick, I often see that online where teachers are like, you know, what do I do? Like, do I ask for time off because I'm going through all these life events and I'm not sure I can handle both? We don't know what we don't ask for. As you mentioned, if we don't ask, we don't get. Um, but we have to listen to those parts of us. So when these thoughts come up, grab a pen and paper, write them down. What are the hurdles that you perceive? And rather than keep saying, it's very fixed, very fixed mindset when we go, I'm anxious, it goes nowhere, right? It doesn't take us anywhere. I'm anxious, I'm still anxious, that's it. Whereas if we go, part of me is anxious and part of me is curious how I can feel calmer, we've opened a door just by changing the word I, which is very ego-led, to part of me because you have all of these experiences that are all different parts of you over time. And you can tap into those and go, okay, well, part of me feels very anxious about tomorrow because maybe excitement doesn't feel good for you in that moment. And anxious does describe the feeling you feel. I feel very anxious about tomorrow. What could I do to support myself? That part of me that would like to do it. And just by tweaking our language, we open up the opportunity to choose a different perception, choose a different way. And if you start hearing yourself say, I don't know, right? That is a classic ego block. I don't know. It sounds very much like a child. Yeah? So a child's going, I, I, don't know. I, I, I don't know. And we kind of, what we get to do is guess. Right? That is the best way to tap in past our egos is just be curious to guess and go, okay, I don't know the answer, but I could guess that this might happen. And if this does happen, what could I do or who could I ask to help me get through that? For me, life is a journey. It's not meant to be happy all the time, right? We're meant to have feelings. We're meant to go through ups and downs. It's how we grow. It's how we develop. We're human and emotions are a gift of being human. 
and to live and rather than exist. I hear that a lot. And I felt that for many years, like I was just existing. Um, and for me to be able to sit where I am today and just be able to sit with ease and be present and calm and feel happy with what I have is a complete gift. Part of me feels I've earned it because I've experienced the opposite side. But I also believe that I couldn't feel this if I hadn't felt the shadow. Like, yes, yeah, 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 of course, of course, because you can't, like, you can't know day, day without night and, and you know, <laughs> rain without sunshine, all of those things, right? It's a... Uh, and, and what you said is, uh, yeah, absolutely. I resonate really deeply with that. And also the linguist in me. I mean, I always say words are so powerful. Our words are so powerful. So, you know, I started a new job, which is very low-key, the lowest of low-key compared to the job that I had um, because my priorities are elsewhere. I'm focusing on my research and my passion and this podcast and everything else. But um, I recognize, like you said, that actually... I felt both terrified and excited. So I use my friend's word, terror excited, because I think he just described the, emo the mix of emotions, right? Because in a way, we, as human beings, we have a tendency to be so black and white. So like, it's either this or that. But at that time, it was a it's a mixture of both. It's like terrified because there's so much I don't know, but excited because I'm actually getting to work with amazing, you know, young people who are really, really in interested and passionate about learning French. Like, how awesome is that? Um, so again, I would I would love you to. So there's two things I wanted to ask. The first one is that is like, how do we encourage to be, you know how do we encourage ourselves through that curiosity to be maybe less black and white and more like shades of gray mm -hmm. um, in terms of our of our thinking and not like just saying well it's either this or that but a bit and both I guess mm -hmm. um, so I don't know whether you've got any any sort of suggestions or tips you'd like to share for that yeah so what I'm hearing you say is like how do we go from all all or nothing to that middle ground um and this was a huge learning curve for me um and i i still at times find that i'm getting the words to express this because it's an experience right um you tend to find yourself go through that all or nothing cycle uh, a lot of the guys on accelerate have done the same thing it's this all or nothing and i had a a moment once where I just started to use my hands really. I was like, okay, this is my right hand. This is my all. Um, and then my left hand, I had my nothing. And then I was like, okay, what's my middle ground? Like I would just bring my hands together because I'm a very physical person. Um, I was like, can I just bring my hands together and find that middle ground? And for me, that was really interesting because when I was a teenager, part of after having the trauma that led to the seizures, um, I had an eating disorder because part of me needed control. Like I needed to have control over things. Um, and it wasn't really well known at the time that grief could lead to teenagers having eating disorders because I was never someone that followed celebrities and wanted to be skinny or anything like that. Um, but I didn't grieve properly. And I went through this process of 
having an eating disorder and I didn't know I was after control at the time now I've gone into nutrition and I've studied nutrition and I've gone through this journey over the years and it's taken me until the age of 34 to be able to appreciate there's a part of me that wanted control back there with food and there's a part of me that wanted to enjoy food and it was a journey because there was times throughout my life where I look back now where I've counted calories and I've been very strict like when I've counted calories and yet now I can do a weight loss program quite easy and and not calorie count or calorie count and then switch it up one day and not feel guilty for it right but that was something very ingrained in me as a teenager where I needed control. And then I tried, uh, because I, I used to try to avoid calorie counting because I was aware that I could get obsessed by it um, where I'd really kind of had to be perfect and it had to be right. And then I realized I couldn't avoid it. Like I couldn't avoid it because it was causing me to lean this way. Instead, I had to choose differently. And so every time I practiced, I practiced giving myself a little less. So I stopped weighing the veg, right? And I was like, well, I don't really need, I mean, it's hardly any calories. I don't really need to weigh the veg. And then what happened over time is that I still saw results. So I was still losing the weight, even though I would have some sweets one day and then the rest of the time I was fine. And it was because I started to realize about the 80-20 and I was like, oh, the 80-20. Okay, so so some of the time I, I can let myself go a little bit. And for me to let go, I had to practice letting go in different ways. So I started to once a week just let go of something, like physically let go of something because your external world also represents your internal world. And as I practiced letting go and realized that the world didn't end, like it wasn't horrendous if I let things go it was fine and the easier it became so what I'm getting at is that okay you might be in this all or nothing situation at the moment but by the only way we can experience something new is by doing something different I think Albert Einstein's quote is the best one for this um, where he explains like doing the same thing time and time again and expecting a different result is insanity Right. If we keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result, you're just not going to get it because the same thing is going to happen. Right. If you go all in at term time, crash in the holidays, replenish yourself a little bit, go all in next term, crash in the holidays, you're going to keep doing it. Right. I had a brilliant message from someone work going, I had a six week holiday this holiday and um, I wasn't sick for four weeks. And all they'd done is taken the strategies, applied them where instead of doing all or nothing, they found their middle ground through term. Okay, I'm going to have two days off in a week. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, all these different things. And they found their space during term time as well as in the holidays. They made the agreements that worked for them. And then they found they had a whole six weeks instead of four weeks of feeling sick because their adrenaline had crash the cortisol was still up their immune system was blocked and they caught all of the sickness that the kids had at the end of term so when we're looking at this gray matter the gray matter is just things you've not yet experienced and through repetition authority and impact you can rewrite your beliefs and stories you can rewrite how you see things if i want to have 
I don't even call it a cheat day to be honest if I if I'm just like do you know what I want something extra or I want to then I'll just have it right I love my training I love my physical fitness and um, it's my hobby I enjoy escaping to the gym but I have to fuel my body to do that like I can't just go to the gym and expect things if I haven't eaten all day like I need to understand how to fuel my body to do that and I realize that I don't have to be perfect at it right because we don't know exactly the numbers that are going into our body we have no idea like we, we're guessing really it's like science is only science until it's disproved yeah and, and we're so unique that everybody will you know you're told you, you we all need x amount but actually depending on your body size and you know like your muscles and like bone density and all of those things not two people are also the same right so yeah yeah, 100%. And, you know, unless you have a lab that you're going into every single day, it's it's just not, it's life. And I think it's a great analogy to just looking at, you know, workload. I had a teacher who was working with me who said, you know, I, I just marking, I'm fed up with marking. And there's lots of teachers out there that don't take their marking home anymore. Um, and some of them have started to vocalize it as well, which is fantastic because it's showing you what's possible. And you can be curious and say, oh, I'm curious. How do you not take any of your marking home? Um, and they'll come back and go, oh, well, I did this. Well, they've already done the work for you. They've trialed and erred, right? Um, and I had another, so this, this teacher on the accelerator said to me, you know, I, I spend hours doing my marking. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, how about you decide how long you're going to spend? Or Because she just didn't feel comfortable with peer marking. She was like, I'm not sure, like, it's very challenging. She was like, I just need to know it's right. And the books are looking good and everything's okay. And it was the ability to let go of that control. And I said to her, okay, what about this middle ground? They peer mark, and then you set and allocate a certain amount of time for you to flick through the books and just have a little check for yourself. And she did that. And she literally narrowed down. I can't remember how many hours she was marking um, to literally an hour where she just went through. Flick, and then now she doesn't, She's, she's happy now because she's seen that it's okay that they didn't need her to, to double check it it was fine so it's that experience that we we get to have to rewrite those stories and I think I heard you say several times you use like perfectionism right so obviously in my research I see the impact of perfectionism in young people mainly so you know that fear of failure that imposter syndrome the you know comparatitis all of those things that I've written about in the books but actually I think that also makes us really want to control that controlling thing and so we find different things we control right or that we end up controlling depending on who we are as individuals um so I guess it would you say that it's also about recognizing that in us that recognizing the fact that we are you know I, I too was a perfectionist um and and I think you know it's not just young people I think a lot of of educators and a lot of of you know people in HE you know in higher education also are perfectionists you know perfectionists and and you know, focus of on perfectionism so again what would be your advice to um you know, you, you use the word like learning from other people. So I would call that modeling. How do we model <laughs> someone who's learned to let go of perfectionism? And what, what does that look like? Interesting. Yeah. So 
in terms of that, initially we get to understand that there is no good or bad to any behavior trait, right? If we go back to the self-saboteur is there to keep you safe, right? It's there to protect you. It wants you to survive. It doesn't care if you're happy, sad, or in between. It's just there in a there to stop you from doing those things that put you at risk. Now, perfectionism is born from the family of shame. So we tend to create these expectations for ourselves where we say, okay, I'm going to write a book in a month, for example, right? Probably not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to take a lot longer than a month to write a book. But we set these expectations for ourselves on what we perceive other people will think or other people will want for us. Now, that doesn't matter because other people are not living your life and other people's thoughts are none of your business. And to be honest, you don't know other people's thoughts because that's their own perception from their film and their mind from their experiences. And you don't know their experiences. So when you say other people's opinions, it's not other people's opinions. It's your own opinion, which you're placing on yourself, which is triggering shame within you. You cannot shame someone else. You can blame someone else, but you can't shame them. You can only shame yourself. In other words, if someone says something to you and you're like, oh, like you kind of, you feel from it, that's not them in essence. They've done something, but there is a part of you reacting to what they've done. So the trigger is within you and you can choose to respond to what they've done. Like there's, for example, if you've got certain morals or guidelines in your life and someone does something you're like that, I don't agree with, you might be like, oh, I don't agree with that. But if it fires you up inside, then it has hit something within you, a very deep belief that's then triggered you to take it further. If you continually talk about it the next day or if you're going on about it or you're ranting about it or things like that, you are stuck in that reaction rather than being curious and going, I wonder why that meant so much to me, because that's their life. They're on their journey. I'm on my journey and I get to experience the world, but I don't necessarily have to take on everyone else's energy beliefs, things like that. Now, the, in terms of the perfectionism, it is within like the other people's opinions, it's not actually theirs unless they actually said those words. It's your opinion that's come out of your mind. Out of that part of you, if you think about perfectionism, for me, in my opinion, is um, it's the level that we are putting ourselves at or we perceive we should be at. Now, we could be at that level. It's another language tweak. Should, should isn't in there. You could if you choose to. You don't have to do anything. So for me, perfectionism is the trait of sometimes trying to get that external validation. And I think a lot of that came from my experience of being like top of the class and getting the A grades and then getting the like pat on the back and the, the awards and things like that. I continue to look for that. Now, there's no exam to sit in life, as we said earlier. So there's no set perfect. Once you leave school, there is not a test to, to like tick the box of life is a journey so therefore the perfectionist has its light and shadow now the light side of the perfectionist is that it offers you the ability to strive for more right 
I love building balance for teachers. I love bringing people into the the, the field and speaking about it and, and sh sharing it out because it lights up my creativity. And I strive to improve and grow it every single day to reach as many people as I possibly can. And I do it because I love it and I'm passionate about it. Um, and I enjoy doing it. I'm not in a position where I'm trying to control it. Like when I do a five day free challenge, I don't mind who shows up. I really don't because whoever shows up was meant to be there. There was a time in the past where I would have been like, I have to have so many people here and I have to help so many people and I have to No, everything is happening just the way it's meant to happen. And if someone invites me on a podcast or someone wants to uh, chat about something, I want to do it because I love it. And that perfectionist in me is going, well, could we do a little bit better tomorrow? Could we, right? It's all right if we don't, but could we? So for me, there is a light side of it in the sense that it gives us the opportunity to strive for more. It gives us the opportunity to grow the world, to disrupt education, to say, what if there was a better way, right? But then there's the shadow side where we're like, I have to get it right. Like, I have to get it right. Otherwise, like, who am I if I don't get this right? And then it comes into the identity. Like, we've identified ourselves as one of the teachers on my course said to me, um, everyone comes to me for the answers. Like if, you know, if they're struggling with stuff at work, they come to me. So I have to be good enough. Right? She didn't believe she was good enough, even though people were referring to her. And it was because she felt like she had to always have the right answer. And I was like, no, you don't, because you've got no one to save or fix. You don't need to. And the more you allow them to come to you, the more you teach them to take up your time. Whereas if you started to ask questions back, what do they think it could be, right? And actually be the mentor rather than just telling them the answer, then yes, you lose that validation, right? You lose the validation of external validation of people going, oh, like I need your help. But what you do is you gift them the opportunity to save themselves. That is more powerful than answering someone's question. So, Sorry, and, and maybe the, this wanting, you know, like to give the answers or to know all the answers is also partly because our ego quite likes to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> loves it. <laughs> the ego is like, I want to give you the answer. I want to give you the answer. Um, and, you know, that's why when we debate and stuff and things like that, that people start debating and they, they take it personally because they're being triggered by that. They think they know the answer. We never know. It's like that whole science thing. Science until someone disproves it. it. You know, we know something until someone gives us a different perception. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, what if I could look at it differently? That would be interesting. Yeah. And like you, you said when you were talking about um, being triggered by others, I call that value trampling. So for yeah. me, it's like literally when I react to what people say is because it's it's literally people are walking all over my the most important things the most important values I have and I really picture this like is your value and just look what I'm doing with it yeah <laughs> no I get that yeah okay it's yes of course I'm reacting but this person clearly doesn't value things in the same way so um yeah love that um 
you mentioned earlier on 80 20 mm-hmm. Pareto principle right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether our listeners listeners will know or understand what you meant so would you be able to tell us a bit more about that sure I battled with 80 20 for a long time mainly because it's numerical and a perfectionist would love to get exactly 80 and exactly 20. And um, what I mean by this is 80-20 is 80% of the time you do one thing and 20% of the time you allow yourself something else. And um, so, for example, if I go back to what I was talking about food, 80% of the time I'm going to eat pretty well. And 20% of the time I might have a little treat of something um, because life's for living um so I used to try to get that 80-20 really specific but ultimately you can't right how do you know exactly how much time 80% of your week is compared to 20% what the intention is is that we look at the world saying right okay most of the time I'm going to have this and then I'm going to allow as and when I choose to let my inner child play and I'm just going to let her play um because it's necessary right? We get to have that. Now we all need it in different amounts. So again, we can't, we can't really quantify it. So 80, 20 is, is the kind of known way of stating it, but we could find a different way, right? We could say it in a different way. It's pretty much saying, let your inner child or that cheeky part of you out, because if you don't, then it's going to build up and it's going to have a tantrum. Like if children don't get what they want, if they don't feel heard and seen, they will have a tantrum. And you have an inner child that will do exactly the same thing. It's called binge eating, right? So what we're looking at is going, okay, I'm just going to allow myself to find that middle ground again. Instead of all or nothing, I'm going to go for that middle ground of having mainly the stuff that I need and then a little bit of stuff that I don't need, but I enjoy it. And what we get to be aware of is that you have that fluidity, right? You get to feel what feels right for you rather than, you know, what everyone's telling you. There are so many like different pieces of advice about everything, like when you should work, when you shouldn't. Like, I don't know why, but there is a specific like 60 plus hours a week. I don't know where that's come from, but every teacher, if you say, like when you say to, well, not every teacher, but when you say to um, teachers, they tend to go, I'm working 60 plus hours. And sometimes I'm curious, I'm like, have you actually counted? Like, because you probably haven't, but for some reason, 60 plus has become the mentality of that's what I'm working. And when we break it down, there are times where they don't need to be doing 60 plus at all, right? It's not necessary, but there's lots of stuff going on. And they've lost that 20% of their time for them to just play and be curious because we all have an optimum performance. Now, some of us need routine and some of us want variety. as human beings, we need both. Now I'm a little bit more variety than I am routine. And there's certain teachers on my program that prefer routine to variety. Now, if they don't have routine, they feel quite anxious and it doesn't feel comfortable for them. Whereas for me, if I don't have variety, then I start getting bored. So it's about playing with your life, really playing with it and going, how does it feel for me right now? And it means right now it's in this present moment. Because you might be in report season and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to need a little bit more time for work because that makes me feel comfortable and safe. But I am going to gift myself this time to celebrate and enjoy what I've achieved. 
it might be a quieter time in the year and you're thinking do you know what I actually have space and time to do a little bit have a bit more for me have maybe 40% of my time be a bit more fun and free and things like that and it might be in the holidays that you go okay I'm only going to go into school two or three days so most of the time is replenishing and allowing yourself that space you know and it's different for every teacher you're in a different school you're in a different environment you have different life events you know some people have families at home some people are single some people are in their 20s with you know teachers in their 50s and 60s everyone is in a different moment in their life it doesn't mean you can't experience the world and take the things that work for you but it means that you can live your journey the way you choose to live it rather than trying to fit the box of what you think other people are doing because you, you are not watching them 24 7. you don't know what's going on in their world unless they choose to tell you so looking at social media and doing all these things going okay what's the right way and it will disturb a lot of listeners probably when i turn around and go there isn't a right way right <laughs> there really there is no right way there are guidelines like there are guidelines that we can follow in order to work as a society, in order to deliver what we need to deliver. But there's no right way. Ultimately, you're the professional. You know your life. You are not only a teacher, you are also a person. And you get to find out what you love in life and what you enjoy and what you want to enjoy. So, yeah, long answer but for me it's been <laughs> I love it and then that, again that fits in so well with with my research and what I say so you know I say we all three shrubs plants in the garden called life and so therefore we all have different needs and different uh you know requirements so it what what works for me may not work for you and and it's it's so easy through the highlight reels to look at people's life and think oh my god you know um I'm not doing that and so therefore I should I, I'm not doing the right thing so so easy uh in a way and 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 quite destructive as well in terms of, of how we are we are feeling so yeah that makes to me again that 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 makes complete and another sense um I could talk to you for hours obviously clearly so much synergy between our work so I love it um I've got two more questions for you, Fame. The first one is a new one that I've started introducing the sort of last few uh, episodes, and, and I think people quite like it. Is if people have really resonated with what all the things you've shared, do you have one book that you would really recommend they read as a starter point? Oh, interesting. Um, I would probably say Brené Brown's Atlas of the Heart. Um to really connect with what your words really mean. And um, when you're talking about emotions and how you feel, it's a fantastic, and it's really, it's really colorful as well. It's very free. It's not, it's very big. It's quite a big book as well. So it's, it's, it's very childlike in that way. Um, but it's a great way of understanding a little bit more about your words um, and, and appreciating. She explains how you can use different techniques to then compensate for, you know, whether it's overwhelm, anxiety, things like that. Because having an understanding that anxiety, for example, is not a bad thing. That we talk about it like a bad thing. Your anxiety is an alarm in your body. It's an alarm in your body to tell you that there's something wrong. And it's just saying, is there a threat? 
ultimately we perceive a threat and then you get to go breathe is there a threat because there might not be right it's just that the alarm has set off the systems the adrenaline's gone out the cortisol's gone out you know we've got all of this pumping around our body when you start to understand your physical responses you then get to appreciate a bit like I backtracked my seizures. I could understand that my physical body was going through this process. And once I stopped my physical body going through that process, I could then see what the emotions and things underneath were going through. And so I then went through that process of actually feeling it to heal it. So I think for me, that book is a fantastic book because it really allows you to process and understand a little bit more of what's going on rather than feeling that you don't know what's going on like I was with my seizures I was like panicking and it was making it worse because I was in this like stress cycle of you know why can't I do this why can't I just be like a normal person why am I so broken um and actually I wasn't broken my body was going alert alert too much take some time out you need some space breathe um so yeah that would be my recommendation Amazing. And I'm so glad you found the way to sort of backtrack and be where you are right now. It's just amazing and phenomenal. Um, and the last question really is from all of this conversation that, you know, from this conversation, all of the things we've discussed, if there was one thing that you would want the listeners to take away, what would it be? Um, what resonates for me in this moment um, is you're not broken, right? You just get to learn how to listen to yourself and to be able to appreciate that your body's asking for things. You're asking for things. And when you learn to listen, you can then make the choice to move forward. And I'd like to invite any listeners that want to. Um, I do a free five-day Discover Life Outside Work Challenge. And it's because I just want to reach as many people as possible. Um, and it's just a five-day challenge. I'll drop you a link, um, Fabian. You can yeah, I'll put it. I'll put it in the description. In the description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fabulous. Thank you. Because and it and yeah, it's there. I devote a week to just helping anyone who wants to show up, and we go through the balance strategy with fifteen-minute me time tasks, um, and it's just five days, fifteen minutes a day, um, and then you get to just see okay, can I utilize this strategy in my day-to-day -to, -day to help myself realize that I'm not broken, that I can actually find a way forward no matter what happens and everything's meant to be just as it is. Amazing. Yes, wonderful. We'll put all the links. So if you just send me all of that, then we'll, I'll make sure they're all included in the, in the description of the podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a delight speaking to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Wonderful, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with me with any comments or questions you may have. You can find me on Twitter at FlourishingHE or on LinkedIn at Fabian Fells. Please also like this podcast as it's helping me promote it and don't hesitate to share it widely with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening and for your support.